I had a lot of hobbies as a child. I loved riding my bike, skateboarding, staying up late with my sister to watch the free Walt Disney World promotional VHS tapes that we often requested via snail mail. We watched them so much that we memorized them. I'll give you an example. And I did not look this up. I just remember it. A woman said, I remember my first time at Disney World and getting my first Mickey hug. And when I went back as an adult, my daughter, she got the same hug. Anyways, I also enjoyed eavesdropping on my sister. When we eventually upgraded our landline phone, we went from a phone with a four-foot cord to a cordless phone. And of course, once we had that phone, my sister and I could sneak away from the kitchen where the receiver was located to talk to our friends in private. As I mentioned in an earlier episode of the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, I was a big fan of walkie-talkies growing up, and I owned several of them. One I found could intercept the signal from our cordless phone, and thus, I could overhear conversations people had on our phone. I thought my parents' phone conversations were pretty boring. Sorry, Mom and Dad. But I thought my sisters were darn right juicy. I enjoyed listening in on my sister's conversations about what her plans were for the weekend, which boys she thought were cute, and what she was planning on wearing to school the next day. At some point, she found out that I was snooping in on her phone conversations, and soon, my genius scheme came to an end. The ability to use traditional telephones and landlines was a huge part of me and my sisters growing up. Having a phone meant that we could call our grandparents to tell them about losing a tooth or how itchy we felt when we had the chicken pox. Having a phone allowed us to make arrangements with our friends to plan a get-together or the ability to RSVP to a birthday party when we received an invitation in the mail. Further, having an answering machine allowed me to create really, really stupid greetings for callers leaving us a message. More on that later, though. My sister was the first one in our family to purchase a cell phone, and she bought me a new cell phone a few times when she thought mine was lame. I guess what I am trying to say is that without a doubt, phones and telecommunications were an integral part of our growing up, even before cell phones. With that said, on today's show, we'll be discussing phone technology and telecommunications of the 1980s and 1990s. This topic was actually inspired by a listener named Jacqueline, who wrote me a really kind email about the show. She has been enjoying the podcast, in particular the Michael Bolton show, which is episode number nine. That was a lot of fun to put together, as uh, she too is a very avid fan of Michael Bolton. Thank you so much for your kind thoughts and suggestions, Jacqueline. It really means a lot. This request fulfills the scope of the show, focusing on the pop culture topics that my sister was into or was exposed to during our growing up. And a lot of what we'll touch on are things that she uh, mentioned in her, her note to me, which was, again, just very kind. So grab your Zach Moore cell phone, your long-distance calling card, and some change for a payphone. Here we go. Hello, 
And thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by, and in memory of, my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 29, Phone and Telecommunications Technology of the 80s and 90s. For those of us who grew up during this time period, we have seen how drastically things have changed. On today's show, we'll be discussing everything you ever wanted to know about the phone technology from yesteryear. We'll talk about landline phones, cell phones, pagers, answering machines, calling cards, and so much more. Let's begin our trip to the technology past with the telephone. As we all know, the telephone dates back over 100 years, actually, to inventors like Alexander Graham Bell. The telephone was built off of the telegraph. We owe a lot to the telegraph, not just for the inspiration for the telephone, but also, if you think of it, text messages that we use on a daily basis on our cell phones are derived directly from telegrams. And that reminds me of a really bad joke that I heard one summer when I was working at a summer camp. Basically, the joke goes, somebody who's delivering a telegram knocks on somebody else's door. The person answers the door and says, um, hello, can I help you with something? And the person delivering the telegram said, uh, I have a telegram for you. Uh, I'm supposed to sing it, but I, I really don't think it's appropriate I, you know, I just, this is not a good idea. And the person who owns a, you know, owns a home said, no, 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 it's okay. I insist. I insist. I insist. And the telegram deliverer says, God, I, no, it's just so bad. I don't think I want to do that. And the homeowner said, just do it. Okay. The delivery person says, all right. But up, but up, up, your sister Rose is dead. Anyways. Although the telegraph was a huge stride in communication, the hope was to figure out a way to transmit the human voice. Telephones evolved over time. At first, the hearing or earpiece was separate from the receiver that a person would speak into. As technology progressed and more people had telephones within their own home, a lot of people were sort of embarrassed by the look of their phone. So people would purchase phone covers such as a creepy porcelain doll that fit over the phone. Later, you could buy velvet covers. I am not sure which is worse, as I hate both porcelain dolls and velvet. I'm not making that up. I can't stand the feeling of velvet or the sound of someone ugh, running their hands along it. Ugh, it gives me a rash just thinking about it. Anyways, in 1949, a company called Western Electric released the Model 500 phone, which was the classic rotary, or ro-ro, as I like to say, phone, which was around for decades. They were sold until 1982. In 1959, the Princess design was released. The phone was designed with women in mind and came in different colors like baby blue and pink and featured an oval shape. In 1965, the Trimline phone design was released by AT&T. It combined the dial and headset into one piece. It sort of has a clamshell-like design, meaning that the two pieces fit snugly together, and it didn't take up a lot of room. I'm sure a lot of you listening to the show had this very same phone. Further, the phone added the pound sign key as well as the star key. 
By 1969, at least 90% of U.S. households had a telephone. And let's go to the 80s for a second. In 1981, for example, you could purchase a Garfield phone. Later, you could get a Cabbage Patch phone, a Mickey phone, and even a Lego phone. Tyco introduced a Lego phone that featured a slide-out drawer for storage and extra blocks for, I guess, replacing broken parts or presumably to play with while on the phone. Further, also in the 1980s, people figured out what the heck to do with the frickin' pound and star keys. For example, if you hit star 69 on your phone, it would immediately call the most recent number dialed back, and the pound sign was often used to select something on a menu or to finish a call. And I believe if you did star 67 at one point, that would block your phone number from showing up on people's caller ID, which came out later. The 1980s also saw the birth of the cordless phone. I believe we had one or two different versions of a cordless phone, and having the flexibility to take it anywhere in our house was really a game changer. We no longer had to worry about the cord getting all tangled or knocking stuff over when it was pulled off of the receiver. In the 1990s, we saw the release and popularity grow of the infamous see-through phone. Conair, the hair care brand company of all people, created the clear telephone where you saw the inner workings of your phone. It typically either had a neon yellow or teal cord and featured neon pink, green, or yellow parts. One companion to landline phones had to be the infamous answering machine. The origins of answering machines actually dates back to 1900, or thereabouts, and a Danish inventor named Valdemar Poulsen. He showcased a product called the Telegraphone at an exhibition in Paris. He somehow figured out how to record sound on a wire with the aid of magnets. Although it was an incredibly impressive creation that many felt would help many people, AT&T, who really dominated the telecommunication industry at the time, and did for decades, felt very threatened by the answering machine as the company felt like they would disrupt the use of telephones, which they manufactured. There was also fear that the answering machine would be used to record private or confidential conversations. That being said, though, AT&T was secretly working behind the scenes to create their own answering machine that they would offer to customers beginning in the 1950s. Sneaky, sneaky, AT&T. The first successful answering machine was released around this time, and it was called the Electronic Secretary. By the mid-1980s, answering machine technology progressed, and as such, they started being sold to the general public for a reasonable price, so sales skyrocketed. In 1984, for example, one million answering machines were sold. Some could only provide a message that no one was available, and there was no ability to record a message. Other models, though, allowed the use of a generic message. For example, you have reached three, seven, six, four, five, one, one. Leave a message after the tone. That was terrible. (laughs) Anyways, further, you could also record your own personal greeting, which I was somehow often given the task of in my family. Sometimes I would speak in a weird accent, which periodically and understandably offended people who called the house. Um, Sorry, I was very young and stupid, and I won't get into specifics because it's kind of embarrassing. And I also distinctly remember attempting to record a message, and my sister did something to me that I can't stand. She tickled me halfway through the message, and uh, that left our message as sort of something that sounded like, 
We cannot come to the phone right now. Please leave a message after the beep, which my sister never let me live down. I think we actually use that for quite a while. I once created an answering machine message to the tune of the song Ben, which was originally performed by Michael Jackson when he was in the Jackson 5 as part of the Ben movie soundtrack. I never actually saw that movie. I still haven't. And apparently it's uh, about a rat, I guess. All I know is that it involves a young boy who befriends a rat. That and that Meredith Baxter from Family Ties was in it. And it came out in uh, 1972. So not really sure why I chose that tune, but alas, I did that. And it was my college dorm answering machine message for a very long time. I believe it went something like this, and this is just really stupid. I cannot come to the phone right now. Please leave your name and number at the beep. I'll call you when I get home. It shouldn't be too long. Just be patient and you'll see. A return call from your favorite Amy. That was probably really off key because I cannot sing even remotely as high as Michael Jackson could. So that was terrible. Anyways, I also recorded an answering machine message for my apartment that I lived in with three other girls during my time in the Walt Disney World College program. It was set to the tune of Full House, which again, doesn't make a lot of sense because I was never a big fan of that show, but I guess we liked the theme song for whatever reason. I guess what I'm trying to say with all this is that me and answering machines go way back, way back. We know each other very well. We are best friends. It was a lot of fun to create a goofy answering machine greeting. Some people like to act like they were, in fact, picking up their phone, when in reality it was a recording. So you'd call somebody and the phone would ring a few times and then all of a sudden you would hear, Hello? Who is this? What do you want? Ha ha, tricked you! This is an answering machine, you dummy! Leave a message after the beep! So lame. I couldn't tell you how many times this happened to me when making a phone call. And while we are on the topic of landline phones, let's discuss the significant expense that was a collect call. Collect calls were originally sort of referred to as a reverse charge phone call. A person would call the operator, then the operator would then call the other party to see if they would accept said call and subsequently the charge. The first toll-free phone service in the United States was called Zenith. The caller would dial that number and it would be answered by an operator. The caller would then say Zenith, which told the operator not to charge for the call. I'm sure they didn't say it with that much enthusiasm. I'm not sure why I just said it like that. But anyways, it was intended to be used for emergencies for people who were in a situation where maybe they didn't have the money to cover the cost of a call. I would have thought it was calling for like a TV or something, but no, that's not what it was for. Anyways, it was extremely valuable at the time for people who were in need of this service. The California Highway Patrol also developed their own Zenith number to report emergencies along the highways there. Unfortunately, people started using this service for non-emergencies like asking for the weather or inquiries about traffic tickets. In May of 1993, a company called MCI, a small telecom company, developed and executed 1-800-COLLECT. 
The program was automated, so the call charge was significantly less than other providers. AT&T developed a competing service called 1-800-OPERATOR. Or perhaps it was 1-800-SMOOTH-OPERATOR, SMOOTH-OPERATOR, and Sade was the operator. Anyways, unfortunately, a lot of people called 1-800-OPERATOR, but they spelled operator incorrectly with uh, an E-R at the end as opposed to the O-R. 1-800-COLLECT would prove to be the lead company when it came to collect calls. Collect calls played a pretty critical role in my logistics as a tween, as I'm sure it did for many, many others. For example, when I was in middle school, I would often go to the local library. If I needed a ride home, I would need to use the payphone, which was once located in the main lobby of the library. I'm sure there are no payphones there anymore. But anyway, sometimes I had the 25 or later 35 cents to make a call home. However, sometimes I forgot the change. If that was the case, I would need to call my parents collect. There was one way, though, to get around having to have your parents or whoever pay for the collect call. I think there were a lot of us who used this tactic, and I'm sure adults did as well. When you called 1-800-COLLECT, you were prompted to share your name so that this information could be conveyed to the receiver of the call so they could determine whether or not they should take it. After all, they would be charged for the call, and could be a lot if the phone conversation went on for a while. So it was important people knew who was on the other end. So when I was prompted to indicate my name, I would say as fast as humanly possible, this is Amy, pick me up from the library at 6 p.m. And then within a few minutes, my mom would get a call from 1-800-COLLECT. Hello, you have a message from, this is Amy, pick me up at the library at 6 o'clock. Do you accept this call? And she could then deny accepting the call. She had all the information she needed without uh, actually speaking with me on the phone. Genius. My sister and I did this for years. One fun fact I learned during my research is that at one point in time, and perhaps this is still true, Mother's Day is the day when the most phone calls are made compared to any other time of the year. And conversely, Father's Day was allegedly notorious at one time for having the most collect calls, which I found quite hysterical. Although for whatever reason, I would definitely call my dad if I was needing to get out of jail. I've never been to jail and don't plan on ever going, but I'm assuming my phone would get taken away. And if it did, I would definitely call my dad collect to help get me out. He's just good at that kind of stuff. Anyways, in addition to resources like 1-800-COLLECT, there were also information lines that you could call also for a fee. For example, if you needed to find the phone number for your local pizza shop, but you were too lazy to find your yellow pages, which I believe are still in publication today, the yellow pages are essentially a gigantic paper phone book with business numbers and uh, used to have personal numbers listed in there as well. Uh, you could call 411 and speak with an operator who could look up the information for you and relay it to you for a charge. My mom would get so irritated with me and my sister when we were teenagers whenever she got the phone bill. Why did you guys call 411 so many times? Because I needed the number for Blockbuster to see if they had an available copy of Grease for me to rent. Good God, Mom. It's not a big deal. Anyways, another one of my favorite pastimes was to call Movie Phone. 
movie spelled like movie and phone spelled F-O-N-E, not P-H-O-N-E. The company was founded in 1989. You could call to check the movie times and theater locations for a movie you were interested in seeing. All you had to do was use the keypad to enter in the first few letters of the movie. The number was 800-777-FILM, F-I-L-M. It was in operation until 2014 and is now apparently um, an entertainment hotline, if you will, for adults. <clears throat> the original voice of Movie Phone was actually a co-founder of the company who worked there until 2013. His name was Russ Leatherman. The service and his voice were so memorable that it was actually spoofed on an episode of Seinfeld. I enjoyed impersonating the greeting and did it all too often back then. Hello, and thank you for calling Movie Phone. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press 1. That was terrible, as most of my impressions are. I think this was another frequent phone call that my sister and I made, which I'm sure annoyed the crap out of my mom because we could have just looked in the paper or called the local theaters, but come on, I was a teenager and way too lazy to go to that much effort. Plus, I loved that guy's annoying voice. Apparently, there is a movie phone website that is still active where you can review current movie releases and future releases. As a matter of fact, the first record of a radio paging device came in New York in 1950. By approximately 1970, there were over 30,000 pagers in use. And just like cell phones, which we will discuss here in a little bit, when pagers were first released, they were very large and unreliable. However, by 1972, better pagers were being produced. By the 1980s, at least 1 million people were using pagers. In case you are not familiar with what a pager is, it is a small electronic device at its height of popularity. I'd say pager was about the size of a deck of cards, maybe a little bit smaller, and it could clip onto your belt or pocket and it was relatively light. If someone needed to get a hold of you, they could call the number connected with your pager and you would get a beep where the caller's number would flash along with a notification beep so you knew someone was trying to reach you. In fact, a lot of people referred to pagers as beepers. My dad was a salesman during the 70s, 80s, and part of the 90s, so he was a pretty early adopter of the pager or beeper. My mom also had a pager so that we could get a hold of her if there was an emergency. We would type in our home phone number along with a star 911 if we needed her to get back to us right away. By the 1990s, tens of millions of pagers were being used. Of course, professionals like those in sales or doctors had them, but they were also often used by drug dealers. Pagers would soon go by the wayside in the early 2000s as cell phones started gaining more and more traction. And I think, as we all know, cell phones are really what contributed to the demise of the landline phone, pagers, and things of that nature. Now that we've discussed traditional phones and pagers, let us touch on the ultimate stocking stuffer in 1998, calling cards. In case you are not familiar, calling cards were sort of like long-distance phone call gift cards. Before the days of cell phones, phone calls were all made using landline-type phones, and of course, there was a cost. Calling long-distance essentially means calling outside of your area code. Long-distance calls cost extra, especially if those calls were made during the day. One of the significant benefits of a calling card were that they had a consistent flat rate and they could be used at any hour of the day and the charges or deductions from the card would remain the same. Cards were prepaid and once you ran out of minutes on your card, the phone call would end. 
Believe it or not, the origins of calling cards date back to the mid-1970s. There was a coin shortage in Italy during this time, and an idea sprung up that maybe it could be helpful to come up with a method to help people pay for phone calls when they didn't have any money. So, the concept of calling cards for the purposes of making phone calls was born. One interesting thing I learned during my research is that part of the motivation for Italy to develop the calling card was to help with reducing vandalism at public payphones. Oh man, somebody wrote for a good time call one eight five five six eight nine. If only they had a calling card, they wouldn't have done that. Ugh, so annoying. About 10 years later, in 1987, calling cards came to the United States, and people started using them at payphones. The World Telecom Group was soon the leader behind the calling card, and by the late 1980s and early 1990s, the phone calling card was starting to explode. In 1990, the first non-magnetic-based phone calling card launched, which required an access number and PIN. I didn't realize this, but the first iterations of the calling card were apparently similar to an actual credit card. The ones I used during my younger days were the kinds with the code and PIN number. Part of the reason for this shift is because a lot of cards got stuck in payphones, so an alternative was desperately needed. By 1992, most major telecommunications companies had released calling cards. Sales reached $12 million that year. Just one year later, sales exceeded $25 million. And by 1994... 250 million. But wait, there's more. By 1996, sales were 1 billion. And then in 1997, they were 2 billion. With the advent of cell phones being on the rise, prepaid cell phones became available in 2001. With the option to utilize calling cards or prepaid cell phones, many families opted to stop having long distance plans on their landline phones. Calling cards and prepaid phones could be found everywhere, like gas stations and convenience stores. My sister and I were often gifted calling cards if we were leaving on a trip, and I spent my first few years of my career as a guide, so having a calling card was really helpful so I could check in with my family while staying at a campground in the middle of nowhere or working at a summer camp, because again, didn't have a cell phone. Had to get a hold of them somehow. Postcards could get stuck in the mail. What would ultimately lead to the demise of the calling card was the advent of prepaid cell phones and the cell phone industry as a whole, which I alluded to earlier. With that said, let's talk about cell phones, shall we? The best and worst thing to happen to technology. Cellular, or cell phones, were formally introduced to the general public in 1983 by the Motorola company. The technology had been tested in Chicago, D.C., and even Japan in the late 1970s, but it didn't start gaining traction until the early 1980s. Originally, cell phones used analog technology, which was often unreliable. Static and noise interference were common. At first, cell phones were utilized in cars. It was fixed to the floorboards, and a large antenna was needed to operate the phone, which was often located on the back of the car or on the roof. Having a car phone really showed off someone's elite status. You could even purchase a fake car phone, which people did, so they too could look like they were a high roller who ate Grey Poupon. For only 20 bucks, they could look like someone important. I'm not sure why, but at one point we had a car phone. My dad was a salesman, so perhaps it had to do with that. I remember thinking it was pretty darn awesome, but I believe it was pretty expensive to make phone calls on it, and I had no one to call as I was really young when it was installed, so I, of course, never used it. In the mid-1980s, it cost several hundred dollars to purchase a car phone and almost $1,000, according to some reports, to install it, and it was about $100 monthly to pay for. 
Eventually, cell phones became more mobile, but they were heavy in the size of a suitcase. The first ones used 1G technology and could handle about 100,000 phone users at a time. Also, by the mid-1980s, there were three cell phone retailers on top, Oki, Motorola, and Nokia. The first consumer cell phone to be released was the Dynatex 8000X. It weighed about 2.5 pounds, and the battery lasted a mere 20 minutes. The phone would cost about $10,000 in today's money. And the Dynatex 8000X actually is sort of like the Zach Moore cell phone. Anyways, at the end of the 1980s, 1989 to be exact, Motorola released the first flip cell phone called the Microtac. In 1992, Nokia released the Nokia 1011. It was the first handheld 2G phone. In 1994, the Nokia 2110 came out with its famous ringtone. In 1997, when I started high school, Siemens released the S10, which had the first color LCD screen. Two years later, in 1999, Nokia released the 3210, which sold over 160 million units. 2001 marked the launch of the first 3G network in Japan. Just a year later, the first BlackBerry was released. 2004 saw the release of the Razer phone by Motorola. My sister purchased me a Razer phone in the mid-2000s as she couldn't stand my old-school Nokia phone. That was one of my favorite phones I've ever had. 2006 marked the release of the first-ever smartphone, the N95, made by Nokia. Just one year later, Apple released their first iPhone. Slider phones came on the scene in 2008 by a company called HTC. I had one of those for many years before getting my first iPhone in 2011. Likewise, my sister had a slider phone for many years and absolutely loved it. When you think back on the history of cell phones, it's sort of fascinating to note that cell phones were invented for people to be able to speak verbally to each other, and now we use said phones for so much more than that. However, much of it, it seems, is for doing anything but actually talking to other people. It's so crazy to me that technology has advanced so much in my lifetime, and I know a lot of generations can say this. I didn't grow up with social media or cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone until I graduated from college. I often resist change. It took me a long time to get on board with digital cameras as I loved film, and I didn't think I needed a smartphone. I definitely didn't want an MP3 player or an iPod when I had my Discman. I've been hesitant and resistant to social media at times. But eventually, I adapted. It's fascinating that we are so easily connected with people, and yet we seem more disconnected than ever. I sometimes yearn for the times when it was harder to get a hold of people. I feel like we made more of an effort to do so. It felt like communication was all about quality, not quantity. And now that it's so easy, we don't connect like we used to. I guess that's why I find it so comforting to take a look back at the past. Perhaps you too feel the same way. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on telephone and telecommunications technology of the 1980s and 1990s, inspired by an awesome listener named Jacqueline. Thanks again, Jacqueline. And of course, by my sister. What we touched on with this show is just the tip of the iceberg, really. We didn't get to call waiting or caller ID, which was an add-on to any landline phone plan, or the early days of what we now know as FaceTime or Skype. There is much more to explore, but taking a look back at things like calling cards, movie phone, and the infamous beeper were a blast as always. If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. 
Please also rate the show as it helps bring more listeners to the show. You can contact me anytime. My email address is popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at popcultureretro. I hope you'll join me for my next show where we will be discussing the film The Crow, my sister's probably all-time favorite movie, starring none other than Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.